Welcome to the Orgasmic Lifestyle Podcast by Venus O'Hara. I'm here to welcome you into the world of orgasmic living by hosting experts to discuss orgasmic topics such as nutrition, spirituality, personal development, sexuality, and much more. Here, we will offer lifestyle lessons that can help you lead a fulfilling, joyous, and orgasmic lifestyle. I'm your guide, Venus O'Hara. Welcome to the 17th episode of the Orgasmic Lifestyle Podcast by Venus O'Hara. In this new moon episode, we'll be speaking to Adrienne Marie Brown, best-selling author of Pleasure Activism and Holding Change. Then I'll be discussing the book I'm reading now, which is Adventures in Sex Magic, Control Your Life with the Power of Lust by Damon Brand. And finally, we'll be experiencing a guided meditation with affirmations for pleasure and feeling good. But first, let's talk about my own version of pleasure activism. If someone asked me when I was graduating from university what I wanted to do with my life, my answer was, I want to help people. I always had some kind of activism spirit inside me, but I didn't really know how to express it. I tried to investigate different avenues of activism and maybe ONGs, etc. But I realized that I might end up spending my days being more frustrated and angry, and I wasn't really sure if that was a good thing for me. So instead, I went to Spain, and the idea was that I would learn Spanish, and then with another language under my belt, I would go back to the UK and look for a serious job. I had no idea what I was going to do. I ended up living in Spain. Well, I'm still here many, many years later. And it turns out that several years after, maybe 10 years after graduation, I started to discover activism again. I've always been very sexual and I had lots of strong opinions about sexuality. It wasn't just about enjoying sex. I had strong opinions about pleasure for all and equality in sex. And that I wanted to kind of spread a message about female sexuality and spread the word of joy in sex. Especially when I was speaking to friends of mine, I realized that they weren't maybe asking for what they wanted in bed or they didn't really know how to enjoy their bodies. And I really felt that my sexuality wasn't really reflected in media or anything around me. So I started a blog in 2009 and I was very, very, very passionate about spreading my message about body positivity. And also at first I was very um, interested in fetishism and BDSM, but not the kind of dark BDSM that you might find in dungeons. I was not interested in that at all. I was more interested in mind games and role play and really the fun aspect of it. Because when we think about BDSM, we might not think about humor or joy when it really can be those things. And it can also be very, very, very sensual. And then I started to focus a bit more on female orgasm and sex toys. And for the last couple of years, I've defined myself as an orgasm activist. And it really is a fun title. And um, people might think it's a frivolous title, but there is a big cause behind it. And I really do believe 
that approaching sexuality or f- feminism in this way is definitely beneficial. Because obviously feminism is a massive, massive topic and there are many, many battles to fight within feminism. But for me, I've chosen the orgasm because it's something that brings me joy. And sexual repression is something that I have dealt with after after having a, a religious upbringing. So I understand very well what it's like to to grow up with repression, sexism, etc., not feel that you can enjoy your body or that enjoying your body can be sinful. Also, another aspect of my own pleasure activism is how I approach veganism. I'm really, really passionate about veganism, but I understand that sometimes when people hear that word, they're like, oh, they, they become maybe defensive or they think it's a personal attack on their own, maybe non-vegan choices. And even among the vegan community that I'm familiar with or that I'm a part of, we cannot all agree with what's the best approach to spread the message. I'm one of the organizers of Barcelona vegan community. And sometimes, and basically our, we, ha- we have events every single weekend and those events are mainly eating and um, supporting local businesses. And yeah, so it's basically it revolves around eating and networking, etc. And sometimes people join our groups and they get very angry that we're not angry enough or that we're not doing activism or that we're not going to vigils or slaughterhouses to protest, etc. And it makes me think, well, we are doing a kind of activism because it's a more positive, pleasurable way of spreading the word because I think food is a form of activism. And I have a friend who's very not vegan at all, but it would never occur to me to kind of Um, attack her choices and tell her that she's supporting animal cruelty. I'm sure she knows that already. But um, to actually attack her personal choices would not be the best way, I don't think, to spread this message. For example, instead, I invite her to my place and I I let her taste vegan cheese and she's like blown away by it because there are some incredible cheeses now or even just vegan food in general because not many people are aware of um, some of the delicious foods that we eat. They think it's a kind of the same food as, as meat eaters, but without the meat. But in fact, there are so many things. I mean, in my fridge now, I have incredible things. I have um, um, organic vegetables, which anyone can have, of course. But for my protein sources, I'm, I'm having things like hemp seeds and um, tofu, tempeh, seitan. And, and those things can be very delicious if you know how to prepare them. So for me, I want to kind of raise awareness about eating absolutely delicious food. And that way it can be beneficial for people's health. I mean, I just got my blood results the other day and it's so cool to know that I have a low cholesterol rather than uh, older members of my family who are eating meat and dairy, et cetera, and they have to take medication to actually lower their cholesterol. Whereas I don't think I'll have to worry about that, which is a wonderful, wonderful thing. So I like to kind of share my knowledge about food and how to make food delicious. It's so, so, so important. It also makes me think about or reminds me of this um, UK reality show that I saw called Veganville. And they took three or four, four or five different vegans with different out, um, different outlooks on veganism. And they put them in a house in the south of Wales, I think, and in a very rural community that kind of lived on agriculture and animal farming. And they were trying to see which approach worked the best, the the activism 
or the foodies or the bodybuilder. And I had actually a chance to interview the bodybuilder who was in that reality show called Corinne Sutton. And we have an interview coming here soon on the Orgasmic Lifestyle, which I'm very, very happy about. Because that's another way to spread the word is to be an example of strong, um, healthy, have a strong, healthy body and have what people might call the vegan glow. It was actually the foodies that seemed to be the most... um, successful in this mission. For example, they went to a a local university and they tried to convince the canteen to have a vegan menu every day and they succeeded. Whereas the angry activists and who are just focusing on slaughterhouses seem to kind of alienate people from the cause. So I definitely think pleasure activism is something that is a a serious form of activism, but also it is uh, wonderful to approach causes with with a pleasurable outlook. I'm not sure if it can apply to every single cause in the world though, but where possible, it's definitely worth investigating. Now it's time for this episode's interview. I'm going to be speaking to Adrienne Marie Brown, best-selling author of Pleasure Activism and Holding Change. Adrienne Marie Brown, welcome to the Orgasmic Lifestyle podcast. It's literally a pleasure to have you here in your book. I've got, I've been reading at the moment, Pleasure Activism. I'm really enjoying it. So many different ideas in it. So much to talk about. You're described as many things, a Renaissance thinker, creator, author, social justice facilitator, a doula, a healer, as someone who does many things, which aspects do you identify with the most and does it change day to day or what do you, what? Um, I think every single day, all the time I'm a writer. Okay. Mm-hmm. Ah. So about the idea of pleasure activism, the politics of feeling good, you talk about how we can tap into our emotional and erotic desires to organize against oppression. So how is how is this possible? Because I think some people think that activism is kind of synonymous with being angry about things. Do you think we can be a pleasure mm-hmm. activist in many aspects or does it depend on the topic? Well, I mean, I think one of the most important aspects of pleasure activism is that it's about reclaiming pleasure, um, particularly for those who are in bodies that have been oppressed or marginalized or are seen as bodies that are meant to just labor and and not experience pleasure. And sometimes we have to get very angry to demand our right to experience that pleasure, to experience autonomy over our bodies. So I think that it's all woven in, um, in a lot of what I speak about in the book is that pleasure is not something that happens in isolation. It's tied into being able to feel the full range of your emotions, um, to be able to process the emotions well so that they're not building up and creating stoppages and blockages in your sense of life or in your body. So it's all connected. Yeah, I think some some topics can definitely have a pleasure side to them, but other ones might be a bit more difficult. I think in when we think about feminism, there's like lots of uh, maybe the like in, in unequal pay and things like that. But for me, I was actually studying feminism at university, and um, some someone from a left, very kind of angry organization tried to poach me. And I thought I didn't want to spend all my days like being angry, you know, because I didn't think that was very healthy. And um, so I decided to I, I call myself an orgasm activist. So I've, I'm kind of a sex toy designer and just focusing on a kind of more pleasurable part of activism. Could you identify with that somehow? Well, I think it's a little different, you know, like for for 
most of the communities that I'm writing for, it's not necessarily an option, you know, feeling mm -hmm. the anger, noticing that there are things we have to be angry about is not, it's like, it's not negotiable. It's just mm -hmm. an absolute part of life, you know, in, in the U.S. to be black, to be queer, to be a woman, like there's all these things that are like, I'm going to be angry about these things, you know, um, and one of the things that I'm always working on is how to harness the power of that anger, how to harness the energy that's flowing into that anger for um, the use of my life, my life force, right? So I try to harness my anger into creating things. Like I've been writing fiction and I write spells and I write other things and I try to gather all that emotional energy and move it into something else. Um, and then I think inside of organizing, no matter what topic we're focused on, we can make it a pleasurable space to be a part of. You know, so much of why people come into movement space is because it can feel like, oh, finally, other people who are paying attention to the world and who want to make it right. And, and how do we not be punitive with each other, but really generate a space that feels celebratory, solution-oriented, where people can be their whole selves, you know? Um, so there's, there's aspects of pleasure activism that are about, like, how do we make the container of movement a more pleasurable place to be so that more people want to become organizers and activists. Like you said, like no one wants to move towards something that feels like it's just purely based in anger, right? So you want to move towards spaces that feel like community and then for every person to also be able to access the sovereignty of, of their own body and to recognize that that feeling good is actually a part of the lived experience. It's not just that some should only suffer so that a few can feel good. Yeah, I think sometimes we can think wired to feel very good most of the time. And sometimes we can feel guilty if we feel good sometimes, depending on the upbringing from religion or different cultures. Yeah, it's a great control mechanism. You know, if people think that things that come naturally and that feel good to them are something that they should feel guilty about or that they need permission from someone else to experience, um, it's a really great way to control people because those urges towards pleasure are inevitable and natural. Um, you know, they're wired into us. So it, it's, I always, you know, I'm always like being a question if someone's, if someone who is not in your body and of your body is trying to say something about what you can, can and cannot do with your body, um, probably that person is seeking to control you and you should be uh, in consent about that. Definitely. I found the uh, part about drugs really interesting, actually, because um, I, I'm kind of a sober person. I haven't had alcohol like, for, for seven years. I've never really dabbled with, with drugs. And um, mm -hmm. I used to smoke weed to sleep for, for 20 yeah. years. And it was one of those things that I kind of justified. I, I kind of took it medicinally, but also there was part of, there was a pleasure element there. And it was also like a fast track yeah. meditation thing. And then this year I had pneumonia and COVID and that kind of put a stop oh, to wow. it. So, so I must confess, it's been like, I feel like a sober activist now. But I do, I do know that there's lots of circles who maybe glorify plant medicines and, and things like that and harm reduction. I think it's a very interesting topic because I'm kind of like looking at it from a very different perspective now. And I just think that sometimes the pleasure element can be a gateway to the dangers of it. What do you well, think? Well, I mean, one of the things I think is so interesting about harm reduction is that it includes the space for people who are 12-steppers or who are like, sobriety is the path that allows me the most presence, right? Mm -hmm. So if that's what you find is true for you, then it's like, absolutely, by all means, 
that should be one of the options that is not judged, you know, and, and it, it works for you. And maybe it also works for the life that you've lived and, and how you need to navigate the pain that you experience, right? And then there's other people who are living different lives and navigating their pain in different ways. And the essence of harm reduction to me is always that non-judgmental piece, you know, that it's just like the the world creates conditions that people have to navigate a lot of different ways. And one of the things we're always trying to figure out is how do we do that? How do we see people's humanity in all those choices, you know, and, and then create as many pathways as possible for people to be present. Like, I, I really think that it's, you know, this is one of the measures of privilege for me in my own life is I'm really like, I can tell that the safer I feel in my life, the easier it is for me to access my meditative states, you know, mm-hmm. the easier is it, it is for me to access being present in my life because it's wonderful to be present in my life. I have conditions that feel safe around me and I have enough food. I have shelter. I have loved ones. I have people who are taking care of me and loving me, but I know a lot of people and I've organized with and for a lot of people who were abandoned by their parents or were abandoned by other aspects of society who have run into a lot of different walls or economic barriers that are structured to the system who got caught up in the incarceration process too early in life. And I've seen those people, you know, also wanting to have a life that they can be present for. And sometimes that, you know, requires a different medicine. Um, I think what's interesting is in this life, all those paths are available, you know? Um, And I think we're still at the beginning of learning how do we actually navigate and find the medicines we need you know, so much of what the world consists of is actually toxins, you know, mm-hmm. fed to us as medicine, fed to us as food, fed to us as drink. Like there's so much toxic, toxic material that we're coming in contact with. And I think we're learning more and more about that all the time. It's like how to determine for ourselves what is toxic for us, what is medicine, what is healing. Well, absolutely. I totally agree with that because I'm kind of an anti-big pharma person. I'm more kind of vegan and whole foods, plant-based and when you analyze there's so many things that are coming into our our food and our you know medicines that are just very bad for us for sure so yeah, it's and difficult bad for the planet you know yeah. i think about that it's almost always they go together and how to be in relationship with like the local produce oh, absolutely even, even that smack right so um but it is you know it's one of those things like i i think it's one of the places where it's like when I think about why I want to redirect people's attention away from violent power over scheming into that deep presence, yes, filled life, in part is to create more space for more people to be able to have that agency over what comes in and what goes out of their lives, like over living lives that feel balanced enough that they can be present in them. You know, I, I think that that is one of the great privileges of this century, when I think about my long lineage, I feel like one of the freest people to live in, in this time, even though there's still a long ways to go, but because I'm able to have such agency over my hours and my decisions. Oh yeah, it's definitely a luxury. I have the same privilege as well. This time is so important. So tell us about the, um, the masterclass that you're doing, Redefining Feminism. Do you think feminism needs to be redefined? I think that anything, any system, you know, anything that's like, oh, we're trying to take down an entire system here, 
Um, as we learn more about that system and how it works, we will continuously be redefining. And I think, you know, we see that with feminism in particular, it has such a clear, like, this is first wave, second wave, third wave, this is intersectional feminism and such, you know, we see the ways that it needs to continuously be growing in order to hold the people within it that are growing. And I, I'm really grateful that I was invited to be a part of the conversation. It's Gloria Steinem's masterclass. And the way she decided to hold it was to invite myself, Amanda and Tina to come on as guests and to be in conversation with her and then each to also offer our own um, little snippets of wisdom. So yeah, it's cool. You know, it's, it's, it's a, I haven't really done television type things before. So it feels like a new place to discuss what I mostly talked about in that space was pleasure activism um, and a little bit about we will not cancel us. And what's this? We will not cancel us. What we will not cancel us is um, the book that I put out last year in 2020 um, on the culture of disposability and accountability. Oh, interesting. And I saw that you um, you said in your blog that the pandemic has been a dance for you and your body. Tell us about this. How is the quarantine? Yeah, so I feel like for most of us, you know, it's it's been something that's had to, it's had the impact of making a major shift in mm. what is available to us in our world and our lives. So before pandemic, I was swimming all the time and I was in a really good place. I had um, a really beautiful community of healers that I was working with, an acupuncturist, someone who did fire cupping, someone who did myofascial work, um, masseuse, uh, you know, somatic body worker. Like I just had a, a team and I was a part of that. I was doing my doula work and I was making my offers as a healer. Um, and I had a plan to go on this sabbatical and do some reflection on the world after having released pleasure activism and having it be such a massive success. Um, I needed to kind of turn inward. So I had been swimming and take care of my body and had this team and all everything. And I go on this trip and during the trip about two months into it, that's when the pandemic kicked in in a massive way. And I was in Italy, um, uh, near a uh, hot springs, uh, natural hot springs that's there. And I had to come home back to the US because there was a chance that <laughs> it was unclear whether we'd be able to get back into the country if we waited. And so I came back and suddenly there was nowhere to swim and it wasn't safe to see any of the people who I had been working with to help navigate pain in my body. And I have arthritis. Oh. So the pain just went off, off the charts, you know, and I, I started to feel very much like my body was falling apart within and I couldn't, there was nothing I could do. You know, I was just like, I don't know how to navigate this. Um, and so it's been this dance, you know, of one kind of accepting the body that I am in right now. Like this is the body that's bringing me to the quarantine. Um, this is the body that's surviving this pandemic somehow. And one of my favorite podcasters, Crystal King, Crystal West from uh, This Is The Read, she said that, she was like, how dare you be angry at your body for gaining weight during a global pandemic? Like <laughs> your body is keeping you alive during a global pandemic, like, be grateful. So there was some of that. I was like, even if I'm in more pain, even if I can't go swim, even if I can't do the things I'm used to, my body is still surviving this. And what can I do to dance with it? And so 
I was like, okay, yoga. One of the reasons I practice yoga is because it's available any place, anytime, you know, and I, I have a lot of different people who have taught me over the years. Lately, I've been really enamored with the work of Jessamyn Stanley. She has a new book called Yoke Out, and it talks about the yoga of your whole life, you know, bringing that mindfulness and that breath, that awareness and choicefulness to every aspect of your life. Um, so I started really digging into my yoga practice, really thinking about strengthening and physical therapy. And like, I now feel like I'm back in a place of health in my body. And it's a health that is, you know, there's still more sugar in it that I'd want necessarily. And, you know, I, I, it really truly feels like a dance, but I'm able to swim again daily, which is a gift. And I can feel how happy my body is to have that support and slowly start to see healers and others again. And I'm like, wow, you know, I made it through. I was, I bought my own little silicone cups and taught myself how to like do some self cupping. Oh, cool. I learned all these like self massage technologies and, you know, just did all these things. You're like, okay, what can I do for myself here? Like, how could I be a comfort to myself? How can I invite my own alignment? Um, yeah, so I'm grateful. I'm grateful to constantly be, I keep pushing myself to look at my body as a place of health rather than as a place of harm. It really helps me. I can totally, I think a lot of people can identify with that, with the pandemic. I think it's really affected a lot of people. And um, I, I always envied those people who were doing these home workouts, and you know, because that took a lot of discipline. Because sometimes you just feel like there's so much uncertainty just sitting on the sofa and, uh, and, eat, yeah. and eating and became I more of a pleasure. That- Oh, yeah. I mean, I, I also was, I find it, it really helped me figure out, like, how to still claim the day. So I still find that, like, that there's something I need when I first wake up in the morning. I really need to be able to turn straight to practice. So it helps me to wake up and either know that I'm going straight to swim or wake up and go straight to the mat and just land, you know, from dream world into this reality really get back fully in the body before I start trying to go about doing anything else with the day. And it really makes a difference, you know, waiting as long as I can to look at my phone mm. in the morning helps a lot too. Um, like it's basically a guaranteed good day if I can get in my body before I get on the internet. <laughs> <laughs> right? um, you know, I, I feel like the pandemic in, for so many of us was this invitation, like, what is it that you need to structure into your life to make it compelling enough to want to continue? Definitely, definitely. And I think um, I just lived in a hoodie all, for, for two years, it made me think about clothes a lot and fast fashion and things like that. It really, and how mm-hmm. much we waste in, in general on people and time and things we don't need. Definitely. And another question for you. You recently came out your first fiction piece, Grievers, a novella about the Black Death during a pandemic that you first began writing in 2012. Was there any parallels between that book and the pandemic that we've lived? Absolutely. You know, I um, I think anytime there's a pandemic or a plague, an epidemic, you know, um, there's all the people who are left behind and there's the unique experience of having lived through a moment where everyone lost someone you know Mm -hmm. everyone lost someone or everyone lost something some path some potential future that they thought was going to be theirs um so 
I feel that in inside of the storytelling that I'm doing with this, you know, novel trilogy of novellas is trying to tell the story of a place that um, everyone is touched by the loss, everyone is touched by the grief, and it fundamentally changes who they are and what their work is in life, which I have found to be true for myself. As I grieve people, my purpose also shifts. Now, is your writing process different when it's fiction compared to nonfiction? Hmm. I think a lot of my nonfiction I've been able to write um, on the edges of my life, like doing other, while doing other things. Mm-hmm. A lot of my work was as a social justice facilitator, um, so I would, you know, be called into meetings with very, very important people. <laughs> you know, people who are moving and shaking and changing the world, and. I would often write, you know, while they were having small group conversations or when it was a lunch break or something like that. And that was fine uh, for the way I needed to ideate and move the nonfiction work along. I finished a lot of my books that way with just like a short period of time to be in retreat and and things like that. So I feel like the difference uh, for fiction was I needed to get lost in the world more fully Um, It didn't fit on the edge of anything else. And I find that's still the case. I have to give fiction a whole day. You know, Mm -hmm. the whole day has to be given over to the characters in the story. And when I'm in the process of it, the characters are very active in like telling me, (laughs) you know, here's the next piece or here's the next thing you need to understand or the next argument that needs to be had. Um, So I feel like I really enjoy the fiction writing process. Um, it makes me feel a little bit more free in, you know, like a, a little bit more, I'm just like, oh, when I'm writing nonfiction, there's such an effort, even though I know that there's no such thing as perfection or there's no perfect right way to do things. When I'm writing nonfiction, I am pursuing something that I'm like, can I get to the heart of the matter? Can I get to the exact place um, to help people understand this? And with fiction, there's so much more mystery. It's like, we don't understand this. <laughs> there's a lot of this shit that we just don't understand. And we still have to keep moving forward. We have to compel ourselves forward into an unknown that feels fairly bleak sometimes. Right? Um, it, it always feels bleak when you're, when you're grieving, when you lost someone that you really loved. The future that doesn't have them is less bright than the future, you know, the past behind you where they were. And... I wanted to write about that, like that feeling of the best is behind us. You know, how do we keep moving forward? How do we, can we begin to imagine that there's even better up ahead? Did, um, did you have a, a plan for the story or did it kind of like have its own life when you started writing? Um, both and, you know, mm-hmm. that kind of, for me, that that process was a dance. Um, I have an amazing teacher in my life, Tanana Reedu, who is a Black uh, speculative fiction horror writer and I was in a writing workshop with her once and, and she was like always make sure you know the short story of of whatever larger story you're trying to tell what is the essence what's the short story part of it and I really appreciate that wisdom so Grievers first came as a short story um, about two people who've been abandoned basically in an empty city and then I realized the protagonist had to shift you know, just where I needed to tell the story from needed to shift. And that unlocked a whole different section of story such that I had to storyboard out as far as I could see. Um, And I was able to storyboard 
out pretty far. Um, but I still, even now, there's some mystery in terms of what's going to happen in the third novella. So I'm like, you know, putting the finishing touches on the second one. And the third one, you know, there's, there's ways that it still keeps shifting in front of me. And I'm excited by that. Yeah, I can definitely imagine. And do you get any, any, any opinions from other people to, about what to do or are you going to? Sometimes, I mean, I think that my whole life is, is, you know, I'm constantly like, I think any writer is like you're processing and filtering stuff mm. that's happening in your life and in the lives around you. Um, for that one, a lot of the feedback I wanted was just from people in Detroit, you know, asking a lot of questions of people in and around Detroit, um, because if, if the, the city of Detroit is very much a character as well. So what's the book that changed your life? Mm. Wow, there's so many books that have changed my life. Um, I would say one of them is the autobiography of Malcolm X. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember reading that book and feeling all the possibility within it that, you know, the many, many people that Malcolm was over the course of his life and feeling in myself, wanting to access that, that range uh, within myself, wanting to know what the truth, my radical truth was as a human being and wanting to know what my evolved and spiritual truth was as a human being. I found that book to be extremely important and I returned to it many times. And I say the Tao Te Ching is another book. Oh yeah, I love that. (laughs) um, It's referenced in most of my other work as well. And it's just a, it's, I love, I love how deep the wisdom is in that book delivered in such brief verse. Um, I feel like I'm, I'm always trying to <laughs> seek that, that way of being. And um, when I released Holding Change, which is my book on facilitation and mediation, um, it was really modeled after the, the Dao Te Ching in parts. There's sections where I was like, I really want to say, like, how briefly can I say this? <laughs> um, even if it's not quite a verse. Yeah, I love that book. Another question, what is the philosophy that you live by? Or do you have a quote or an affirmation that's central mm-hmm. to your life in general or at the moment? I'm seeing there's uh, this, which is, I'm a mechanism of all the possible liberation, justice, pleasure, and honesty in the universe, and I act accordingly. Um, and then lately, I've been walking, I have this little sticky on my desk that capitalism makes all of life work and labor. To be anti or post-capitalist is to make all of life pleasure and play. Oh, that's and fantastic. So I'm really working to do that. Is that your own affirmation? Is that your own? Yeah. Oh, fantastic. These are, these are things that are stuck around my desk. I have Gloria Anzaldua on the wall. I change myself. I change the world. Fantastic. Yeah, I love to do mm-hmm. affirmations. Great. Okay. So I think that's it. Yeah. So do you have any tips about how our audience can live a more orgasmic lifestyle? Because orgasmic lifestyle is about reaching the climax in all areas. It's not just a sexual thing. I would say the, to listen for the yes inside of you um, and listen for the, the. Oops. It's just, it's just like stopped. 
Oops. Oh, sorry, the, the internet just went weird there. You said the, the yes okay. inside of you. So, yeah, I was saying to listen for the yes inside of you um, as you move through your life and in every decision to really like take that moment, place your hand on your gut and just say, like, do I really want this? Is this part of the miraculous path of my life? That's <laughs> and great. Say yes to things that feel like a very clear yes in those conditions. Sounds like great advice. It's a full moon tomorrow. Do you, do you do anything for the full moon usually? Oh, yeah. I do lots. I usually do rituals. I write spells. I like to put all my different crystals out in the moonlight and do moon baths. Yeah. Oh, cool. I'll be doing the same thing. Okay. Thank you so much. Adrian Marie thank Brown you. will be um, publishing this on a new moon or full moon sometime. Okay. Great. Okay. Thank you so much. Thank you. Have a good one. You too. Bye. The book I'm reading now is Adventures in Sex Magic, Control Your Life with the Power of Lust by Damon Brand. This is actually the second time I'm reading this book, and I'm reading it again because in about 10 days, I'm going to be giving a talk about sex magic in Soho House, and I really want to get to know my subject very well before I deliver my speech in front of an audience, which I'm kind of excited and nervous about at the same time. Sex magic has really changed my life. The last four years have been incredible since I discovered this tool, especially since I've been a sexpert for so long and learning that sex can, can go beyond pleasure and procreation. It can actually be one of our most powerful tools for manifest manifestation is something that's really blown me away. I've read several books about sex magic, but this one in particular is, has to be the most straightforward one. It's a self published. I bought it on Amazon and it has 82 pages and I devoured it in two days and it's very, very, very easy to read. But what I really love about it is that it's very practical. A lot of the other books I've read have gone into the history or different different theories from different people who've been prolific in this practice over the years. And they have much more, maybe over more ritualistic practices than what I do myself. Whereas this, this is a very simple and straightforward approach. And it's, it's the, it's the, I would say it's one of the best books for a beginner. And there are, for example, different approaches for doing it on your own, doing it with a partner and doing it in a group. As I may have mentioned in previous episodes, I'm not really into practicing this with a partner or with a group. I think there are too many variables at hand. And when I am in a situation where I do, I am lucky enough to have sex with a real person. I'm not thinking about manifesting my goals. I'm thinking about just being mindful and enjoying the human contact and human warmth. And of course, amazing orgasms without a sex toy, which is something I definitely enjoy as well. And this book, I actually learned about sigils, which is something that's, <clears throat> that's really blown my mind. And sigils are basically magical symbols, and there are several ways that you can make them. For example, one of the ways that's described here is, I think it's called the chaos, um, the chaos um, sigil. And what it is, is basically you write out a sentence of something that you would like to manifest, and then you rewrite that sentence without repeating any of the letters. And then you draw this symbol, which includes all of those letters without repetition, um, together, all jumbled together. And then you start kind of simplifying this symbol over and over until the, the letters are no longer recognizable. They, they, it just becomes a kind of series of squiggles, basically. 
And then you draw a big circle around it. So what I do now for new moon, which is today, the new moon episode, is that I I choose three things that I want to manifest. And I think it's important with sex magic to choose things that are kind of within your reach and that you would like to manifest in the near future rather than things in the distant future, because you don't know if you, you're going to still want that thing in the distant future. So going for three things that you want to manifest fairly soon. And then I make these sigils with those sentences. And I have these three pieces of paper with some squiggles and a circle around them. I leave them for a few days. So I've forgotten about them completely. And then I use them for my in my sex magic ritual, which basically consists of masturbating. Well, masturbating, I listen to an affirmation track of my own, which is um, called um, Affirmations for Manifestation, which is something I've already shared on this podcast. And I also have it on available on insighttimer.com because if you want to check out my meditations, they're all on Insight Timer, which is one of the best meditation apps. So listen to this track, which is about just manifestation in general. And then I masturbate and I enjoy my fantasy. But then when I'm about to have an orgasm, I pick up this piece of paper with my sigil on it. And I just look at it as I'm about to have an orgasm, as I'm having the orgasm as well. Because this piece of paper, even though I don't know, I don't remember what it what it means, it speaks to my subconscious and my subconscious knows what it is. So that's one of the methods that I use between new moon and full moon. Then when it comes to full moon, I get rid of these sigils because they're not um, sacred objects. They're just tools. And also what you can do is um, you can you can kind of anoint them with your sexual fluids to make them very powerful. But it's not something you need to kind of treasure and keep for a long time. It's something you use um, maybe once or maybe a couple of times if you want, and then you get rid of it. Other methods would, would involve, for example, just thinking about consciously what it is you want to manifest before, just right before orgasm. And then another method that he describes in here is actually to mutter a word that's related to that, um, to that desire from the moment of when you're trying to get your breath back after orgasm. So it's like post-orgasm and then you're becoming kind of in, um, returning to a, a normal state. So for example, it could be success, 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 or love, 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 something like that. So so the sigil kind of method is is more of a speaking, well, all, they all speak to the subconscious, but it really, it's not um, a conscious um a conscious approach, let's say. So you're just like looking at a symbol, basically, and you don't really remember what it is. Whereas in, whereas after after the full moon, I kind of go back to my more conscious approaches where I I do know what I'm thinking about. I, I, I do choose a specific intention before I masturbate and then and then at that time, just before orgasm. And also during the fantasy that's kind of building me up to that place, I do kind of make reference to it to it in my fantasy as well. So I have a normal sexual fantasy, but there is something in that fantasy that's related to the thing I want to manifest. Because it's quite interesting that you can eroticize any desire. For example, um, I did that with the apartment I'm living in now. I imagine I was walking around naked, barefoot, and I was receiving the best cunnilingus of my life in my new bed, things like that. So I, th- I think you can, I, I think it's a lot of fun actually to eroticize 
any desire you might have. I also did, um, eroticized the desire to pay my student loans off, which was amazing. I remember getting picking up that phone and going, here's my number, take your money, it's over, yes. And I, I just imagined I was naked making that call and I just so euphoric that finally I could rip up all of these papers, all of these letters that I'd received over the years from the student loans company telling me how much I'd owned them, owed them and how much interest that had accumulated. I was like, adios, bye, get good riddance to this loan. <laughs> so I actually did that. So I haven't manifested many, many things through this. But of course, you can't just uh, lie around at home masturbating and um, trying to manifest things in life. You must also take action. And yes, I'd highly recommend this book. It's a very simple book. And there are also different types of sigils as well and lots of lots of great tips so if you want to just uh if you're a beginner in this practice or if you're curious then i highly recommend this book adventures in sex magic control your life with the power of lust it's definitely worth reading and rereading now it's time to slow things down as we prepare for this episode's guided affirmations meditation it's probably not a good idea to listen to this while driving or operating machinery. Instead, take a break from whatever you're doing, get comfortable, take a deep breath and enjoy. I live a blissful life. 
share my joy with others. I bring joy to the world. I make others feel good about themselves. I deserve to feel good every day. Pleasure feels good. I am worthy of pleasure. I focus on things that feel good. I observe how things make me feel and I choose pleasure. I enjoy my life. My relationships make me feel good. I deserve to feel good every day. Pleasure feels good. I am worthy of pleasure. My body gives me pleasure. I can let go and enjoy the pleasurable things that are present in my life. Food brings me pleasure. Sex brings me pleasure. I deserve to feel good every day. Pleasure feels good. I am worthy of pleasure. I make time for pleasure. Pleasure is present in my life every day. I am worthy of joy. I live for pleasure. I deserve to feel good every day. To find out more about me and my orgasmic lifestyle, visit venusohara.org or follow me on Instagram at instagram.com slash venusohara. Make sure to search for the Orgasmic Lifestyle Podcast by Venus O'Hara in Apple Podcasts, Spotify and Google Podcasts or anywhere else podcasts are found. Make sure to click subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes. Thanks for listening. Have an orgasmic week and make sure every day is a climax.